So uh, Jordan's going to come back up here in just a moment and uh, share with you guys a little bit about his story, about where he is right now and in life. He has done an incredible job investing in our students, just musically, but beyond musically, uh, in discipleship and worship leadership. And so he's going to come up and uh, talk to us. Our students are over at a big multi-church united gathering. I think they're at First Baptist Moore tonight, but uh, they're, they're doing that. So Jordan's going to be with us. And I wanted him to share with you all a little bit about his testimony, his story, where he is right now. So he'll be coming back up in a minute to do that. Right now, uh, a time to uh, pray for one another, pray as a church. Any updates, things that you have going on in your life, things you know about for Emmaus as a whole that we can be praying about? Last time, I haven't heard about Grayson Waddle today. Uh, as many of you know, Grayson was in a terrible uh, bicycle accident. And so she is, she's not in ICU anymore. They were moving her to a regular room last I knew. So, okay, Wendy's going to come through with an update here for us via Facebook. The other prayer app on your phone. Um, so... Uh, I will tell you um, that Jim and especially Courtney have done an incredible job uh, ministering to their family through this. And so it's provided all kinds of open doors about just conversations, but more than conversations about church, just being able to minister to their family. And so Jim and Courtney have knocked it out of the park caring for them. So. Uh, let's see, she's still struggling with severe pain. Um, she's going to have to work through head trauma. I think they're just uncertain about what kind of results are, they don't know the effects of the, uh, um, of the head trauma. But she's more alert. <laughs> yeah, she's more alert. And she said, we're so humbled by the outpouring of love and support and cannot even begin to respond to all the messages. We thank you all from the bottom of, of our hearts. So, yeah, thanks for that. So, yeah, continue to pray for the If you don't know the story of the Waddle family, they lost a little girl, Emmy, about five years ago. And it was before I came to Emmaus, but probably four or five years ago, something like that. And so went through that and now to be in this situation with another child. It's really, really difficult for them. Um, Jenny Ann Hemphill, uh, Jeff and Jenny Ann, uh, she goes in Friday uh, for induction for the little baby if he decides not to show up before, before Friday. So pray for them. Adam and Kendra Milligan, their little guy, Clayton, who was born a couple of days ago, he's been... Uh, they haven't been able to spend as much time with, them as, with him as they would like. He had some fluid in his lungs after the C-section, and so they've had to give him antibiotics and keep him off a little bit. So it's been hard on Adam and Kendra not being able to hold him and be with him. Uh, he's he's going to be fine. It's just going to take some time. So they're still in the hospital. Adam is bored out of his mind, he said. So if anybody wants to come see Adam Milligan, <laughs> Kendra would probably be glad if you came to see Adam uh, Make, make, help her out. Um,
Yeah, Jack, Jack Strabig had three stents put in on a heart uh, procedure yesterday, and he's home. Um, thanks for reminding me about that. Somebody else have? Yeah. Yeah. That will be a whole new Okay. You guys have been through a few transitions, so that would be another one. So, <laughs> yeah. So really staffing is the only thing you're waiting for for Lemuriel to come home. Okay. I should, I should know this. Sorry about that. Will, it's a good choice. Solid name. Totally in favor of that. Sorry for not knowing that. It'll stick with me now. So, uh, that's awesome. Do what, Will? It will. It will. After this moment, it definitely will. Yeah, so Jessica Clark... One of our young ladies here, her dad is in ICU. Has he been bad off or? Okay, I thought he had. Yeah. Okay, thank you, Jessica. So we, we have Easter coming up soon uh, at Emmaus. Let me ask you two huge requests for Easter. Number one, uh, Courtney is borderline panicked for some candy. Um, <laughs> we need you, if at all possible, to to purchase candy. Um, I say this half-jokingly, you're going to purchase candy one way or the other. It's either going to be your tithe dollars as we reach deep in the budget into some secret line items um, <laughs> that we're not sure what those line items are going to be. Uh, so we'll pay for the candy one way or the other. But we're, we're about 50 bags short of candy where we normally are. I know not everybody can run out and buy 50 bags, but if you could help us with that, we need the candy on, on Sunday so we can get it all set up for next week. So if you're shopping this week, would allow you to buy a couple of bags of candy that can go in some eggs and be spread out on the field, that would be a huge help for, for Courtney and especially her budget. Uh, I know she, no chocolate. Yeah, don't buy things that melt. Um, and yeah, so just candy that can be used. The second thing is that we're preparing for next week for the Holy Week event, the prayer station walkthrough that we have in the worship center, we're still short a few volunteers on that for Thursday. The sign-up is on the back table. If there's any way next Thursday between 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. that you could give us a couple of hours to be able to have people in place for that, it's low training, no training, we can put you in place. We just need people signed up. And so... If you can sign up for that on the back table as you leave, that would be a huge help for us to be able to do that next, next Thursday. Remember, next Wednesday night, we don't have a meal or any kids' activities or anything like that here at the church, but the main building will be open from 5 to 7 if you want to come and do the prayer walkthrough on Wednesday night. So that's available for your family next Wednesday night, 5 to 7, and then it's open all day on, on Thursday. All right, let's pray together, especially for the Waddle family right now and preparing for Easter, and then we'll go from there. 
Father, thank you for uh, your presence and in our lives, God, your peace and strength. The Bible talks about the peace that passes all understanding. And God, I know we, we've experienced that in our lives where all the circumstances around us seem so hard and yet you provide a peace and hope that goes beyond anything of, of this world. And so, Father, we trust in that. God, we pray for the Waddle family, for little Grayson, God, for her recovery, not knowing all that she's going to face from this accident. God, the, the trauma of this uh, for, for her family, of all that they've gone through. But God, thank you for the way that Emmaus has been able to be there for her, for so many other churches that have rallied around them to pray and support. And God, I pray that you'll continue to be at work and in their family, God, remind them of, of your love and your presence with them. Father, we thank you for Easter that is coming up and Holy Week. God, that you would use this time to open conversations with people around us. Father, we pray for our church as we continue to grow in relationships with one another, as we love one another, that people would see that and they would respond to the gospel. God, we pray for families in our church as they're going through all kinds of different situations, God, um, that you would, you would help us know how to encourage one another, that we don't go through these things alone. That's one of the greatest gifts of coming on times like this on Wednesday night and being a part of Bible study groups is just to know we're not alone, that what we go through, there are people around us who love us and care for us, remind us of the hope of Christ. God, thanks for children's ministry, preschool, youth ministry, all the things that are happening in those areas. God, we give you praise for that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Hey, Jordan, come back up here. Grab your, grab your mic for a minute. First off, do you know how many days until graduation? Five weeks. Five okay. weeks. Okay. All right. Five weeks. That's close. I asked one of our high school students the other day, and she knew to the date, like number of days, how many days until, until graduation. So for people that don't know your story, back up a little bit. Just kind of share your testimony, um, how you ended up in Oklahoma. You're connected to a guy that a lot of people here will know. So tell, tell people a little bit about your story. So first of all, I'm a senior at OBU, so like graduation is kind of a sad thing. Is so your I mic really on or not? I don't know. Oh, my mic. There you on. go. Now you're on. So anyway, I'm, I'm a senior, I'm about to graduate, so graduating is kind of a sad thing right now. <laughs> so I'm, you know, kind of waiting for it. Um, but yeah, I'm from Kansas City, um, a suburb of uh, Olathe, Kansas, on the Kansas side of Kansas City. Um, grew up on the Missouri side, uh, moved to the uh, Kansas side when I was five or six. Um, my dad is a youth slash worship pastor at a church up there, uh, Lenexa Baptist, where our founding pastor is Steve Dighton who has a lot of connections here, and he's actually who got me first connected with Owen a few years ago. Um, so I'm very grateful to him and to Owen for uh, letting me be a part of things here and uh, leading for the youth and uh, a couple Sunday mornings. It's been great. But yeah, Pastor Steve has been one of my biggest mentors of my entire life. Um, he's the type of guy, he drives through Shawnee a lot, you know, doing church stuff. So he comes through and we'll always go to Starbucks, get coffee, you know, he likes to catch up, and he likes to try to find me jobs. There you go. He does a good job. Yeah. Because you've nice. also, uh, you also serve as part of Frontline, is that yeah. right? Yeah, you're so, kind of the Frontline church? Yeah, so 
uh, Frontline Church is where I'm like, at on Sundays, and I'm, uh, they bump me up to, I lead worship there twice a month, um, and I might be working next year with our worship team across um, the Oklahoma City area. Yeah. So. so I'm curious about this story. For everybody who either preaches or leads music, what's the first time you ever led musical worship? Stood in front, in front yeah. of people, and you were in charge of singing the songs. Let's see. I think I was 15. Um, I've been playing instruments, so guitar and trumpet, since I was in fifth grade. Um, I grew up surrounded with music. My dad is a worship pastor, so huge part of my life growing up. Um, played in the worship band, just played guitar for a few years, and then my dad asked me, right before we were about to go on a trip to Nicaragua, which is in Central America, on a mission trip, and I had been before one year, um, and every night we have like a worship service for the team, probably about 50 of us there with translators and the staff down there. And it was a very sweet time of worship because it was outdoors under this cabana, um, in Nicaragua, in the middle of the jungle, it was beautiful. So everything was a step down after this. So yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it was great. And then the next year, I was going back to the same place, and my dad says, "Hey, I want you and your brother. I have a twin brother who plays the drums, um, to lead worship." And so I said no initially because I had never done that before. I never sang. And then about a week out, I said, "Okay, I'll do it." And I get there, and the first night we're Sound checking, ready to go. And it, about two minutes when we're about to start, I'm sweating bullets because I'm like, I don't sing. I don't do this well. I've never even like led worship, even just by playing guitar by myself. I don't do that. And so I was very nervous. And seconds before we were about to start, lightning bolt hits the bass. Power goes out. Completely black, uh, everything's gone, sound system out, lights out. So my first thought was, this probably isn't good, but was, good, I don't have to lead. <laughs> that was my first ever thought when I was leading worship. So uh, so we ended up just, I just played the guitar and shouted lyrics out, so I could do that. <laughs> but the next night, it, the power didn't go out, so I had to do it. Um, and it was after that trip, um, I was... Uh, going through a devotional that one of my, uh, uh, a pastor friend of ours had written, and he, he had written in this devotional, um, don't let your circumstances, like what you're going through, determine um, uh, what God wants to do for your life. Don't let what you have planned get in his way. And I was thinking, I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. And it took about a year of uh, thinking that through when I was a junior in high school and realizing that this is what I wanted to do for uh, the rest of my life. This is what I felt called to do. Um, but it was a long process. Yeah, about a year. yeah, absolutely. So uh, we love OBU. We're connected to OBU. Tell us about from that time in high school, where you are now. What have you learned about worship leadership? What have you learned about the theology of worship? How, where are those points of growth you've seen along the way? So, OBU is the only school I looked at. I didn't look anywhere else because they have a degree that is, is brand new at the time. I'll be the first person to ever graduate <laughs> with this degree. It's a ministry degree with a worship emphasis. So I didn't have to be a music major, which is really hard. <laughs> and so I'm a theology major with a worship emphasis. So I take a bunch of worship classes. And 
that uh, I think the main thing that I've learned since coming to college, and I learned this pretty quickly, is that worship is not music at all. That when scripture talks about worship, it hardly ever mentions music. Very rarely does it mention it. And if it is, it's very minimal, very simple music. So it's kind of, it takes a shift in focus for me and for all believers and worshipers who come to church on Sunday morning. It's hard to break that mold of I'm coming to a worship service. That's hard to do. But what I've um, written about and studied and realized over my past few years is that when you're coming to a night like this or to Sunday morning, Sunday morning should not be the one hour a week that we're worshiping. Sunday morning should be the culmination of a whole week of worship and also the launching pad of a new week full of worship. Um, and that's been huge in how I live my life and how I come to worship um, times, worship nights, because I'm coming to join with other believers in public corporate worship and in a culmination of my private worship that has been happening throughout the week through reading the, reading the Bible, prayer, um, discipleship, other stuff like that. Um, so yeah, that's been the main thing for me in regards to worship, just learning that worship is not always just what we do on Sunday mornings. It's how we live our lives. Yeah. Um, that's been super important for yeah, me. That's, that's so well said. That's awesome. Let me pray over you. Mm -hmm. Thankful okay. for you, man. God, thank you for, uh, for Jordan, for his connection uh, with Emmaus, your, your kindness and grace in his life and for his family. Father, thank you for what he just said about what it means to worship you, God. What a great reminder that is for me and for all of us. God, I pray that that will continue to be true at Emmaus, uh, that when we gather together for worship, it's an overflow of what you've been doing in our lives. And God, we continue to worship you throughout the week. And so thank you for... Uh, for his desire to do that for churches. God, continue to guide him in the weeks ahead as he prepares for graduation, as he seeks your will for his life. God, that you, um, you will continue to work through him to impact so many people for the gospel. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I've got to say one more thing. I'm really appreciative of you guys um, for this past year. I started in September, and it's been great for not only me, um, uh, learning how to communicate with students and learning how to disciple and learning how they work, but also just um, a steady, consistent body of believers to gather with. You guys have been great, so thank you for yeah. that. Thanks, bro. Appreciate you, man. All right, Matthew chapter 5. We're going to continue to go through the Beatitudes tonight. We're only going to cover one tonight, and there was a half sheet of paper, maybe if there's any left back there on the, uh, on the back table, if you want to grab that. Now, I realize that earlier this semester, Joel Harder, who is the guy who's over Capitol Commission, and he's the chaplain for the House of Representatives uh, for Oklahoma, when he was here, he talked about blessed are the peacemakers. So I promise this is not a complete repeat of what Joel said that night. Uh, but we were going through the Beatitudes, so I still had to, I wanted to go through this. And uh, Joel did a great job that night talking about peace in the midst of a political realm. How does he try to bring peace to the House of Representatives? How has he seen that worked out in that situation? So 
you have Joel's background with what he shared earlier uh, earlier this semester, but we're going to take a, another run at it tonight. So let's read the Beatitudes together, and then we're going to talk about the concept of peace and what it means to be a peacemaker. Matthew chapter 5, verse 2. Jesus opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God or children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, when you think about peacemaking in the Sermon on the Mount, you have verse 9 there, blessed are the peacemakers. But then you also have later in chapter 5, down in verse 21, we've already looked at this on Sunday morning, but often what Jesus does in the Beatitudes, he'll repeat later in the Sermon on the Mount or reemphasize. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have made the last penny, or until you have paid the last penny. So Jesus is giving examples there of, of peacemaking and what that looks like. I want to ask you up front, and I know this is a little difficult to share in a public setting as are all these Beatitudes, but is there a story in your life, a testimony, about a situation where you were involved in peacemaking? Either you had to go to someone and seek reconciliation, or there was a rift between you and someone else, and they came to you, and, and the Lord was able to bring peace in that situation. Is there a story like that, a testimony that you'd be willing to share about how you lived out, blessed are the peacemakers, and how God used that process in your life? I said this gets to the really yeah go for it
Isaiah 44. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. There's something about when everything's chaotic around you and you're able to speak the right word, a gentle, and to your point, a word about the Lord's work in that situation. It affects everybody. We'll look at Proverbs 15:1 in a minute, but. A gentle answer turns away wrath. A harsh word stirs up anger. The right word at the right time diffuses. The wrong word at the wrong time just, you know, escalates, throws everything out of kilter. Anybody else? Story of peacemaking? Yes. So a mother-daughter division, you make the first phone call to mom, what's that like? Rough? Yeah. not careful tonight you might idealize peacemaking like oh I'll reach out and everything will be easy and okay yeah rarely is that the case um rarely is that the case and in your mind that you never know how that phone call or that first conversation is going to go with somebody in that situation but you dial the phone I mean you dial the number you make the call anybody else something like that You were coaching? Imagine that. A, a coach with a situation, only, yeah, only one situation ever with a parent. So. Quit on you. Yeah. That's the guy? 20 years later, yeah.
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So there's 20 years between the first incident and the time you, and God at work all during that time in ways that, you know, you never know about. So, yeah. I think that idea of, you said something about all that 20 years, it eats on you in certain ways. You know, when you, when those things get held out year after year time time doesn't always <laughs> doesn't make it better like it's it's there so there's and I'm so glad you mentioned that about his salvation and how you know that must have softened his heart and and everything that happened so peacemaking is really one of the most powerful gospel tools that we have of what it looks like to go and either say to someone here's what God's done in my life want to you know try to reach out to someone the message of reconciliation even just the strength that it, ha- it takes to say I'm sorry uh, to ask for somebody's forgiveness that's involved involved in that so we always uh, we talk to our kids about one of the most important things we do is ask one another for forgiveness um, that none of us is above needing forgiveness or trying to heal a relationship and so the question is, what does it look like when peacemaking happens? So let's look at that from the perspective of God's word. With all these beatitudes, before we talk about toward one another, we talk about vertically, us, us and the Lord. So under Roman number one on your notes there, point A, God is the ultimate peacemaker through his son and through his spirit. Romans chapter five, verse one Since we have been justified by faith, since we have been made right with God, not by our own efforts, but by faith in him, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We never want to make fun of people or or overly correct people about certain terminology, but there's a phrase that people use sometimes, and we just want to be so careful about the phrase. And here's the phrase. The phrase is, I've made my peace with God. Now, generally speaking, we know what somebody is getting at when they say, I've made my peace with God. But just when I think about even family members that I have who use that phrase who don't know the Lord, but I've made my peace with God, just a reminder that none of us in and of ourselves can make our peace with God. That Romans 5.1 tells us that we have peace with God through Jesus Christ, because what he has done. And so I don't make peace with God on my own terms. It's not me and God have worked out a deal. It's the only hope I have for peace with God is because of who Jesus is and and what he's done. And the way that only Jesus is able to bring peace back to creation, peace back between the creator and, and us as his creation. This theme goes all throughout the Bible. If you go back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and 3 and 4, 1 and 2 is a picture of perfect peace and perfect harmony. So Genesis 1 and 2, the whole scene is about this peace and harmony between God and his creation and between Adam and Eve. And then when sin happens, that peace begins to unravel. There's chaos in creation. Creation falls apart. Cain and Abel 
the first descendants of Adam and Eve, what kind of peace is there between them? There is, it's ultimately conflict that leads to anger, that leads to murder. And James in the New Testament picks up on that idea of all this conflict. Look in Isaiah chapter 11 though. There's an important piece of the puzzle that comes in Isaiah chapter 11. So, you know, in fact, actually, start in Isaiah chapter 9, as you're finding Isaiah kind of in the middle of your, uh, the middle of your Bible. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 9 first. So God creates perfect peace. God creates perfect harmony and sin, begins to unravel that, brings chaos, brings disorder, murder, all the things that will come into the world that, that causes that. But God promises to restore peace. Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 2. The people who walked in darkness, this is Isaiah 9, 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. So this is preparing you for language of what is to come when God sets everything right, when he brings judgment. Then verse 6, chapter 9 verse 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So this is the promise that with the coming of the Messiah will come peace that comes through the Messiah. Then you look over at chapter 11. Chapter 11 is connected really closely to the Beatitudes in the book of Matthew. So Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, there's another messianic prophecy here. There shall come forth a shoot, this is Isaiah 11, 1, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. And then look at 11.6. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. And the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child will lead them. We'll stop right there. I'll keep going. But what you see here in Isaiah chapter 11 with the promise of the coming Messiah is he will bring peace and he will restore to the earth the peace and the harmony that was there in creation. This is the idea of new creation being prophesied, that God is going to set everything right. We won't look at it right now because of time, but, but just a little strange note that shows up in Mark chapter 1. So in Mark, 
he's telling about the story of the coming of Jesus, and he talks about his baptism. And then Mark doesn't say very much about the temptation of Jesus. But one thing he does say about the temptation of Jesus is that he was out in the wilderness with the wild animals. And you're like, why would Mark go out of his way to say that at the temptation that Jesus was in the wilderness with the wild animals? It's because it's Mark's way of saying that when Jesus takes on Satan, when Jesus takes on sin and overcomes, it's a preparation for the way that he is going to restore all things. So he's able to be with the wild animals. <laughs> the disorder that was created with the animals in Genesis chapter 3 is restored with the coming of the Messiah in the New Testament. And so Jesus is with the wild animals. It's an it's a anticipation of what's going to happen when he comes. There's going to be harmony and, and order that, that will be restored. And you see that showing up in the book of Revelation in chapter 21 and 22. Look over in Ephesians chapter 2 for just a second. Because the question is, let me find Ephesians chapter 2 first. Okay, so here's the idea. God creates a world of perfect peace and harmony. Sin comes and destroys the peace and harmony in the world, and not only that, but the peace and harmony in our lives. And so our relationship with God is broken, our relationship with one another, even our relationship with ourself, how we understand ourselves, how we treat ourselves, all of that, there's, there's disorder. There's a promise that a Messiah is going to come and restore peace. The question is, how? How is that going to happen? That's what you see unfolded in Paul's letters. You get Ephesians chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 13. But now, so this is Ephesians 2, 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. How is that peace going to be secured? It's going to be through the death of Jesus Christ, what he accomplishes through his death. For he himself is our peace. Ephesians 2.14 is such a powerful verse to hold on to. What is our hope for peace in the world? Christ. He himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. Verse 16, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. He came and preached peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, this is verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Ephesians 2 is the heart 
of how God is going to bring peace to the world. Um, at the birth of Jesus, in Luke chapter 2, there's this declaration of goodwill and peace among men with those whom he is well pleased, that peace comes to those who are able to receive the good news of Jesus. Now the question is, so are you saying, Owen, that someone who is not a follower of Jesus cannot experience peace? Here's how we understand that. Peace, in one sense, is a common grace gift that God gives to people so that what we talked about in Matthew chapter 5, that God causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. There's a way in which all people are able to experience peace. But it's always temporary peace without Christ. Or it's always provisional peace without Christ. So through Christ comes the type of peace that we all really need, which is peace with God, that then leads to perfect peace with one another. So we live in a world where we want people to experience peace. We want to live in peaceful homes. We want to work in peaceful offices. We want to have peaceful communities. We, we want to see that happen so that people will look to God as the one who provides ultimate peace. And that is only found when you accept Jesus, when you receive the peace that he provides. So there's, there's, two, there's a general peace, and then there's a very particular peace that's peace with God that comes, comes through Jesus. Now the question is, what's the opposite of peace? Well, <laughs> many of us could speak personally to, to how we've been a part of this. The opposite of peace in one sense is when we have an eye for an eye mentality. We're just always trying to get revenge, get at, back at people. Someone who is a troublemaker, someone who is driven to division. Uh, so the opposite of a peacemaker is a trouble causer. Uh, either someone is trying to bring peace to the situation or they're trying to bring division. That's the opposite of that. Uh, I put on here someone who is hungry for drama. Uh, this idea that we always want things to be roiled up. You, you never, you, you almost get, yeah, almost get joy in the idea of, of, of things being chaotic or, or trouble being caused as opposed to there being peace. Now my wife doesn't call that drama, she calls that drama. Uh, so drama is what our 12-year-old brings home. Drama is what you go to at the local school uh, for the play. Um, so there's, there's this idea that you just always want to have disorder brought up as opposed to the, to the gift of peace. Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Why do people stir up trouble? Why not be a peacemaker? Usually, not always, this oversimplifies it, usually it's because the person is not at peace within themselves and equally not at peace with God. You know the phrase, hurt people hurt people? It, it's very similar in this sense. We, we stir up trouble because when we're living in sin, that's going to happen. But a person who is not at peace with himself and not at peace with God very often doesn't want anybody else to be at peace. Um, the person who is not happy and it's their job to make sure nobody else can be happy either, the person who is not peace at peace and they don't want others to be at peace. So when we see someone and often we have to be really careful about this, but when we see someone constantly stirring up trouble or not being a peacemaker, the obvious connection there is they're probably not at peace in their own heart, and they probably don't fully experience what it means to have peace with God. What does it mean to be a peacemaker? 
before we run out of time here. Remember that a peacemaker is not merely a peacekeeper. It's one thing to keep the peace. It's another thing to make peace. And, and here's what I would try to get out there. There's a type of peace that's called the walk on eggshells peace, where thing is not, things are not really peaceful, uh, but you just don't want to stir up any trouble, so we just kind of move gently so that, that we don't have to deal with the situation. Remember that in Christ and, and the, in the kingdom of Jesus that we've been called to live a part of, peace is not just the absence of conflict. Peace is re- resolved harmony. Peace is living fully with one another as God has called us to. So as Christians, we don't want to get tricked into a false kind of peace that is just this lack of conflict. In fact, Jesus will say some very hard things um, uh, to people about the fact that peace doesn't come at, at expense of the truth. We speak truth to achieve peace. Uh, sometimes peace involves going through hard situations, not just around them. Um, sometimes peace is just not going to be achieved with certain people. This is why we have Romans chapter 12, verse 18. As much as it depends upon you, live it peaceably, live peaceably with all. This idea that we pursue peace, we want to make peace, it's not just about keeping the peace. There's more to it. Uh, R.T. France has, has a good comment on this uh, under your notes there on, on point C. This beatitude goes beyond a merely peaceful disposition to an active attempt to make peace, perhaps by seeking reconciliation with one's own enemies, but also, more generally, by bringing together those who are estranged from one another. What happens when we make peace? For they will be called children of God. Like father, like son, the great peacemaker, when we have peace with him, will lead us to make peace with those around us. We are most like God when we make peace, love enemies, and give freely to those around us. Um, As we wrap up tonight, I think it's particularly important going into Holy Week that we remember this idea of who Jesus is as the peacemaker, that he desires to bring peace to the world. But it's not a peace that condones sin It's not a peace that just says do whatever you want to and everything will be okay. It's a peace that says you can be made right with God through Jesus. And as a result of that, you can transform or be a part of transforming the world around you as you bring peace. Uh, My encouragement to you this week is look for examples to be a peacemaker. Look for opportunities to make peace. Speak peace into difficult situations. And if there are unresolved relationships that you'll seek uh, God's direction and God's courage to go and and handle those. All right, let's pray together. We're past time here. Father, thank you uh, for this time. God, I I love being together on on Wednesday night with these friends and what they mean to me and my family. God, thank you for the hope we have in your word, for what it means to gather and pray together, sing together. God, I pray that we would be a church of peacemakers, um, and that's that's hard because it can bring hard conversations, it can bring difficult things to the surface, God, but that we would not be those who stir up trouble, but we would be those who, who seek to make peace because that reflects our relationship with you. So God, continue to guide us in that, prepare our hearts for Holy Week and all that lies ahead in that, that you would draw people to salvation during that time, that you would bring people back 
uh, to, to the church and to relationship with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.